This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Racina's Omar Jimenez is in Dearborn, Michigan. We're actually in Dearborn proper. Uncommitted got more votes than President Biden. That's right. I mean, look, here in Dearborn, Dearborn's home to one of the largest Arab American communities in the country. And the vote uncommitted movement was led by Arab American activists over their disagreement with how President Biden is handling the Israel Hamas war. And as you mentioned, yes, when you look at unofficial results coming from the city of Dearborn, uncommitted beat Joe Biden 56% to 40%. Now, that's within a total of 11,000 votes. But when you expand that data countywide, here, that number is over 25,000. And when you look statewide, over 100,000 people voted uncommitted. Now, President Biden still did win this primary by a large margin. But when you look at the margin that he won Michigan by in 2020, that was around 150,000. So obviously a sizable margin there. And the goal of those that were leading this uncommitted movement was to send a message that President Biden needs to be doing more to push towards a permanent ceasefire. The results from Michigan's Democratic Party primary last night were genuinely stunning, and I think they sent a very clear message to President Biden. Stop supporting Israel or you risk losing the election to Trump in November. Now, the reason why this outcome was so shocking is because the goal from the Listen to Michigan campaign who organized this was to get at least 10,000 uncommitted votes since Trump only won Michigan in 2016 by about 10,000 votes. Uncommitted Michigan Democrats opposed to Biden's policy in Gaza can demonstrate that we hold this margin of victory for re-election. But they didn't just get what they wanted to get in 10,000. They got more than 100,000 votes. So the campaign was far more successful than they or anyone really expected. And regardless if Biden likes their message, he can no longer pretend like he doesn't hear them. Now, the pundit class is having a surprisingly sober reaction to this news. Case in point. It will be hard to win them back come November yeah. for President Biden's team. That's a real challenge. I wouldn't I would expect that the president himself will travel to Michigan before long and attempt to repair those those wounds. Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by around one hundred and fifty thousand. In 2016, Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump by around ten thousand. So ten thousand votes could sway the difference. And if these uncommitted voters uh, keep this passion going through to November, it could be a huge warning sign and, and a big problem for Joe Biden. I'm not certain they're going to do so, but we heard also from Debbie Dingell, Congresswoman from Michigan earlier. She has been sounding the alarm to this administration for quite some time. We have to address the situation. The Arab Muslim community in Michigan is crying out for this. And the younger community in Michigan is doing so as well. And if he is going to really address this situation, he needs to do something much more serious than throwing out a, a possibility of a ceasefire in an ice cream shop. It must be much more organized and it has to include a ceasefire and releasing the hostages. Yeah, I mean For the uncommitted people, this is about flexing their muscles mm -hmm. and showing the Biden campaign, look how many of us there are. This is Michigan. 
you will either win Michigan or lose Michigan based on how you act towards us. That's the message they are trying to send. And that message has been sent and received. Now, the question is whether or not Biden is actually going to be receptive. And at a minimum, it does at least appear as if he's trying to respond to Michigan voters in a limited sense. And we'll get to his response in a moment. But I first want to give you some additional context in the lead up to this vote. So MSNBC spoke with several 2020 Biden voters in Michigan, and some of them who are voting uncommitted were pretty clear about the fact that there was nothing Biden could do to win them back. But others said there's still a possibility that they will vote for him in November. Here's what they said. You cannot keep killing people with our money and just keep thinking that, oh, we are stupid enough to elect you again because we'll fall in line. We'll forget. How can you, how can, like, this is an insult to me as a voter. For Very you, much. Biden has a pathway forward. Biden has a pathway forward. It's not and what saying, does that look like? That is him calling for a permanent and immediate ceasefire. The straightforward, simple answer for the Biden administration is push for a ceasefire, stop aiding Israel in their war crimes, and I guarantee you there are enough people who would be willing to deal with it and vote for the man. It is, in so many words, insane mm -hmm. to me to have the Democratic Party and the Biden administration sit here and essentially say, if Trump happens, it's your fault. If you don't want a Trump presidency, then are you not worried about what he could do domestically yeah. to this country? I am, you know, it's like a vaccine. I'm willing to take short-term pain for a long-term gain. I'm willing to uh, uh, let go of Joe Biden and oppose Joe Biden, make him a one-term president, punish Joe Biden by making him a one-term president and pairing his loss with the genocide in Gaza why does our democracy, why is having a Trump presidency more important than those people's lives? Yeah. Why is our democracy more important than thousands of men, women and children being killed? Now, to be clear, none of these people are voting affirmatively for Donald Trump. And many of them realize that Trump is going to be worse than Biden in a number of ways, including on the issue of Gaza, if that's even possible at this point. But what they want to do is set a precedent, as they explained. They want future leaders of the Democratic Party to know that they can't win an election while supporting a genocide. And by continuing to support this genocide, Biden isn't justifying those voters right there. He's defying his base. He's defying all Americans because a new data for progress poll finds that 67% of likely voters support a permanent ceasefire, including majorities in the Republican Party and independents. And quite frankly, I really don't care what public opinion polls say, because even if a majority of Americans didn't support a ceasefire and they supported Israel's genocide, that doesn't automatically make it more moral, right? I don't base my morality on public opinion. But if you're a politician who wants to be reelected, which is key, these polls should absolutely sway you. Now, there was evidence that the Biden administration was scared shitless in the lead up to the Michigan primary. Politico reports Biden is outwardly playing it cool. He hasn't been to Michigan since February 1st, but his allies in the state say that behind the scenes, there is panic at the White House and inside the Biden reelection campaign. Quote, they are freaking out about the uncommitted vote, said a Democrat close to Biden. And it turns out they were right to freak out about the uncommitted vote because as worried as they were, I don't think that they thought the vote would be this high 100,000 uncommitted votes in a battleground state for your own party that's a really big deal i don't think anyone expected it to be this successful of a campaign so the question is what is biden actually doing to address their serious concerns and the answer is 
nothing actually meaningful, in my opinion, at least. But he was absolutely trying to at least placate Michigan voters. And he said the following in an ice cream shop. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Now, we don't have much details about the potential agreement that he's referring to there, but Gazans are worried that it won't permanently end the war for the fact that Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has already said that any ceasefire is only going to delay a ground invasion of Rafah. But having said that, though, any pause to the violence is important, but I'll believe it when I see it for the fact that we're also learning the following from Axios reporter Barack Ravid. Quote, the Biden administration gave Israel until mid-March to sign a letter that provides assurances that it will abide by international law while using U.S. weapons and allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Now, this and a potential ceasefire aren't mutually exclusive, and this isn't a letter that's specific to Israel. They're making anyone who they give weapons to sign that letter. But the question is, what happens if they sign the letter and then just continue to do war crimes? What are you going to do then? Well, the article makes absolutely no mention of an accountability mechanism and really just feels like Democrats are trying to make us feel better about their desire to give more weapons to Israel. So when Israel inevitably commits more war crimes with the weapons that they gave them, they can say, well, you know, what are we going to do? We got them to sign our letter saying they wouldn't do war crimes, but they did anyway. So I guess our hands are tied. We did what we could. Well, I've got a better idea. Take that letter, shove it up your ass, Democrats, and stop fucking giving them weapons, you monsters. See, this is why I find all of this so insulting, because they know that we're mad, but they're not actually doing anything meaningful to change the situation. But with that being said, it is evident that the uncommitted campaign did have a significant influence on the Biden administration because of the fact that he's even pretending to care, that is a pretty significant change. Now, Representative Rokana has confirmed that Biden has been talking about his plans to broker another ceasefire specifically because of the Listen to Michigan Vote uncommitted campaign. Politico continues, nothing in politics is a coincidence, Representative Rokana told us about the election eve timing of Biden's statements. This is happening because the president is hearing that a large part of his coalition wants this war to end. It took Biden a long time to engage in personal outreach to Muslim and Arab leaders in the state, and that occurred only after lobbying by elected officials, one of whom said Biden's aides were keeping him in a bubble. Oh, that's nice. Kana, who often serves as a liaison between the White House and progressives, visited Michigan and was struck by the intensity of the anti-Biden sentiment. Quote, there is a deep sense of hurt and loss, pain, grief among the Muslim and Arab American community and the progressive community, Kana said. While campaigning with Biden before the South Carolina primary, he pulled the president aside and made it clear he had issues in Michigan. Quote, I said, you're losing progressives. You need to change, Kana said. He said, Roe, I hear you. I understand. I understand that people are upset and I am pushing BB. Pathetic. Now, that comment is obviously disingenuous because, again, he's pretending as if he is powerless in this situation when he is literally giving Israel weapons that they are using on innocent civilians. And on top of that, he is shielding them from accountability on the U.N. Security Council by repeatedly vetoing ceasefire resolutions. So he is lying. He's full of shit. Former prime ministers listened when former presidents demanded them to stop. One prominent example being Ronald Reagan, of all people. So the fact that Biden hasn't 
made the same exact demands and hasn't taken the same course of action as his predecessors tells us that he is choosing to let the genocide continue. It's a choice. And he can continue to do that, but he shouldn't expect people to believe him when he says he's serious about wanting BB to stop so long as he continues to do what he's doing, supplying them weapons and shielding them on the UN. Now, unfortunately for him, the anti-genocide portion of his base is very politically savvy. So him leaking stories to the press about him supposedly calling Netanyahu an asshole and privately stressing his concerns to him isn't going to make this go away. But while he's at least trying to make it seem like he cares about the concerns of Michigan voters, there was a simultaneous counter effort underway by Democratic elites to try to dissuade them who were prepared to vote uncommitted with a very deceitful scare tactics. So last week, John Fetterman went on MSNBC and claimed that anyone who is daring to criticize Biden is effectively a Trump supporter. And on Sunday, Michigan uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer echoed basically the same sentiment about listen to Michigan's vote uncommitted campaign. And here's what she said. Any vote that's not cast for Joe Biden supports a second Trump term. Wrong. Voting uncommitted doesn't help Trump. It helps Biden. Because if he doesn't wake up and stop supporting a genocide, he could very well lose Michigan as well as other states. So this was a test, and he failed that test. 100,000 uncommitted voters in a swing state is a very big deal. And if they don't take this seriously, they're going to lose. But I mean, that was a strategy for some Democrats before the vote. Uh, vote shame. Make people uh, think that they're complicit with Trump's reelection and not Biden if they don't support him. And we're still seeing the same exact strategy after the campaign as well. So, for example, Dash Dabrowski, editor of the Gen Z Perspective newsletter and a liberal Biden bro, responded by calling everyone who voted uncommitted a Trump supporting terrorist. I'm sure that's going to win them over. Now, some liberal pundits in mainstream media didn't go that far, but they made it seem like the results didn't actually matter. This was cope, but nonetheless, here's some of that. Let's look at the Ann Arbor numbers. Joe Biden didn't win Ann Arbor. Bernie Sanders won Ann Arbor. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. some of these areas have never been Biden country. Yeah, they have been really many more people that were further left and yeah. didn't like the idea of a moderate yeah. carrying the flag of our party. What would have been more concerning is if these voters voted for Dean Phillips. Now, if these voters had voted for Dean Phillips, there would be a fire alarm inside the White House right now and everybody would be out of that building and they'd be out in the campaign making this thing happen. Listen, people concerned about the genocide in Gaza didn't vote for Dean Phillips because he is also a supporter of genocide in Gaza. And if these people stay home in November, Biden could lose. I can't stress that enough. So if there's not already a fire alarm after 100,000 Democratic Party voters voted uncommitted in a battleground state, there should be. Now, as for Claire McCaskill, she is a loser who lost her reelection campaign to Josh Hawley after she shifted to the right and went full racist towards migrants. Now, it would be unwise for Democrats to listen to anything that this loser says, although I do find it a bit concerning that Biden has also now shifted to the right when it comes to the border and is embracing Trump's xenophobic racist policies as well. So, I mean, do with that information what you will, liberals. But I mean, pretty much any time a pundit tells you not to worry about the backlash from your own base, you should completely disregard their opinion because they're telling you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear. Now, the liberal sycophants that unapologetically defend Biden no matter what, even during a genocide, they're in a bubble. They're in a bubble in the same way that Trump cultists are in a bubble. Now, they might not want to hear that, but it's true. They might not care that the president that they're supporting is doing a genocide. But a significant portion of voters that Biden needs do care. 
They might not care, but there's a lot of people that he needs to win that do care. And they can pretend like criticism of Joe Biden is a threat to democracy, but in actuality, criticism of Joe Biden is needed right now to save democracy. And this was the message from surrogates of the Listen to Michigan campaign. Take Rashida Tlaib, for example. I was proud today to walk in and pull a Democratic ballot and vote uncommitted. We must protect our democracy. We must make sure that our government is about us, about the people. When 74% of Democrats in Michigan support a ceasefire, yet President Biden is not hearing us, this is the way we can use our democracy to say, listen, listen to Michigan, listen to the families right now that have been directly impacted, but also listen to the majority of Americans who are saying enough, no more wars, no more using our dollars to fund a genocide. That's the bottom line right there. The reason why she's saying democracy is at stake is because multiple polls show Biden is losing to Trump in Michigan, largely because Biden has lost the support of young people and Arab Americans due to his complicity with Israel's genocide in Gaza. Now, this vote uncommitted campaign confirmed that the polls were not lying. So Biden has two options, either immediately stop supporting Israel's genocide in Gaza or risk losing the election to Trump in November. The choice is his. And if he doesn't take their concerns seriously and ends up losing, if it's not already too late, it's gonna be his fault and his fault alone, despite what Democratic Party loyalists try to say. You can't scapegoat voters here when he had months to change course, but refused to do so. There's been a lot of talk about the uncommitted vote in Michigan on Tuesday's primary, and before the vote, there were reports that the Biden administration was, quote, freaking out about it. But I mean, after 101,000 people voted uncommitted, we've all been pretty curious to hear what they think now, because if they were freaking out before the vote, they've got to be freaking out now. And we finally got a response, and it is genuinely astonishing that this is their response to disillusioned voters in Michigan. So campaign co-chair for Biden's 2024 campaign, Mitch Landrew says, quote, we are going to continue to talk to them and then ask them to think about the choices and what the consequences are about electing somebody who wants to have a Muslim ban. In other words, you have no choice but to support Biden in November because you have nowhere else to go. You're not gonna support Trump. We know that. So it's either genocide with Biden or genocide and a Muslim ban with Trump. So shut the fuck up and accept your choices. Amazing. First of all, saying vote for us because the other guy is worse. Not necessarily the most inspiring message. I take it a lot of people aren't going to be motivated to get out and vote affirmatively for Biden. Maybe they will vote against Trump. But that right there. That's not going to mobilize voters. Second of all, they are basically saying implicitly that they're not going to change course, meaning that they are effectively willing to risk losing this election to Trump all to continue to appease Netanyahu. It is so stunning. And I think that this hubris hinges on the fact that they think that the backlash to Biden supporting genocide is just contained to Michigan. But if they actually think that, then they are horribly mistaken because activists in Colorado are organizing an uncommitted vote there too, following the success in Michigan's campaign. And the largest labor union in Washington state has endorsed an uncommitted campaign against Biden there as well. But you know, I'm sure that uh, they don't care because well, Trump's worse, so shut the fuck up and accept my support for genocide or get a Muslim man too. 
Now, listen to Michigan responded, and this is what they said, quote, it's deeply offensive that President Biden keeps suggesting he has a messaging issue among Arab Americans and young people rather than a funding bombs issue. Biden's reelection chances will be judged by how much of Gaza is left standing by November. It is our hope that Biden chooses the people of America over sending Netanyahu a blank check for war and occupation. Yeah, well, I'm not holding my breath. Now, remember that ceasefire that he said that he was trying to broker when he was in an ice cream shop before the vote took place? Well, he's already throwing cold water on that. And it is specifically because the government he's supporting committed what people are now calling the flower massacre. And in response, he says that that's going to complicate negotiations, which is to be expected. But the fact that they did this flower massacre should be a turning point, you would think. There's been many points where you think, man, maybe this should be a turning point for the Biden administration, bombing hospitals and schools and residential areas and cultural centers. So don't think that the flower massacre is really going to have an impact on him and Swam at all. But nonetheless, this is a pretty big deal as well. Al Jazeera reports more than 100 Palestinians have been killed and some 700 others wounded after Israeli troops opened fire on hundreds waiting for food aid southwest of Gaza City, health officials say, as the besieged enclave faces an unprecedented hunger crisis. People had congregated at Al-Rashid Street, where aid trucks carrying flour were believed to be on the way. Al Jazeera verified footage showing the bodies of dozens of killed and wounded Palestinians being carried onto trucks as no ambulances could reach the area. Quote, we went to get flour. The Israeli army shot at us. There are many martyrs on the ground, and until this moment, we are withdrawing them. There is no first aid, said one witness. Reporting from the scene, Al Jazeera's Ishmael Al Ghul said that after opening fire, Israeli tanks advanced and ran over many of the dead and injured bodies. Quote, it is a massacre on top of the starvation threatening citizens in Gaza, he said. They murdered people who were trying to get flour. Now, in response, the IDF accused the Gazans that they murdered of looting the supplies and subsequently released this footage here. I'm not going to play it for you, but there's a screenshot showing that dozens died from uh, what they call overcrowding and trampling. So just stop for a moment and think about how twisted this response is from the IDF. They were implying that they had no choice but to open fire on them because they were trampling each other. So in order to protect people, they had to kill people, specifically more than 100 people. Makes total sense. These are the types of genocidal freaks that we're dealing with here. Now, they also accuse them of looting while pretending as if they're not also deliberately starving Palestinians who have been forced to eat grass and drink polluted water just to survive. So, I mean, when one a truck finally is allowed in by Israel... Yeah, they were a little bit desperate, and they crowded the aid truck as any human being who was starving to death would do. But to put things into perspective, I want to play a clip from Melanie Ward of the organization called Medical Aid for Palestinians, because what she says here about what's happening is chilling. Just explain first why viewers, why aid isn't being allowed in. Where is the aid? It's very simple. It's because the Israeli military won't let it in. We could end this starvation tomorrow very simply if they would just let us have access to people there, but, but it's not being allowed. This is what they said on the 7th of October. Nothing will go in, and, and so it remains the case. And for people in the north of Gaza, it's even worse because no food is reaching them anymore. And so my own staff, my own colleague, Abir, has been eating animal feed. And horrifyingly, the food that they were eating, which is food for horse and donkeys, is now running out, and now they're eating bird seed. 
The statistics also tell their own story. One in six children under the age of two in the north of Gaza are now acutely malnourished. This is the fastest decline in a population's nutrition status ever recorded. And what that means is that children are being starved at the fastest rate the world has ever seen. And we could finish it tomorrow. We could save them all, but we're not being able to. We're witnessing the fastest decline in a population's nutrition status ever recorded. Again, all of this is purposeful. Israel is choosing to starve Gazans. It is all deliberate. And as they allow aid to trickle in, they then open fire on the population when it gets a little bit too rowdy as they starve to death because of Israel. It's just so sickening. And as this war goes on with how many atrocities that we've seen that are just beyond the pale and indescribable, I don't even know what else to say. The fact that it's gone on this long it makes me lose hope for humanity, that we can all collectively sit back and watch this happen, and there's nothing we can do. It's genuinely despicable and nauseating. Now, Congressman Ro Khanna questioned Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin about Israel's refusal to let aid in, and he asked if there's going to be any consequence at all for all the war crimes they're committing, perhaps maybe cutting off weapons at a minimum. I know, difficult to hear that possibility because we've got to keep giving them weapons to kill innocent Palestinians. But as you're going to see, um, Lloyd Austin had no good response because there won't be any consequences. Let's watch. Cindy McCain, the head of the World Food Program, has said that the Palestinian children are starving. Extremist settler Stormrich, Israel's finance minister, stopped American flour, which our taxpayers paid for to get into Gaza. If Israel, Israel again ever stops American-paid aid from getting into Gaza, will you commit to not sending future arms sales? Again, that's, uh, uh, that's not my decision. Uh, I, would, uh, I would, number one, uh, do what I've been doing and engage uh, the leadership and, and encourage them uh, to, to ensure that humanitarian assistance is getting... Mr. Secretary, I would just say and I have one more question, that you... We need some consequences when another country is defying you, defying the National Security Advisor, defying the President, uh, defying National Security Memorandum 20. Uh, there has to be some consequence. And then I was surprised John Kirby said that Israel is taking more precautions than the U.S. military would to protect civilian life. Mr. Austin, Secretary Austin, isn't that statement inaccurate given Israel has used hundreds of 22,000-pound dumb bombs when there were no place to, for civilians to go, would the U.S. government ever target terrorists with 2,000-pound bombs in a densely populated area? Well, we, we had, I mean, it depends on the, on the situation. And, and again... But would we, have we done that? Put, 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 use 45% of bombs that are unguided or a 2,000-pound bomb? I, I mean, do you really think that the Israeli government is taking, military is taking more precautions than the United States military would? I, I think... Uh, you know, just based upon the results uh, in terms of the uh, the, law, the uh, significant loss of life. Gentlemen's time's expired. You're not now, he was also asked about whether or not weapons to Israel would be cut off since they're using them to commit war crimes and knowingly giving weapons to a state that is using them to commit war crimes is a violation of international law. And of course, Lloyd Austin didn't give a direct answer to that, even though at the start of that exchange, he admitted that Israel has killed more than 25,000 innocent civilians. But doesn't matter.
going to keep funding them, going to keep on vetoing ceasefire resolutions on the UN Security Council. It doesn't matter. And they are pretending as if they're oblivious to everything that's going on. They're acting as if they don't have access to the same information that we all have, right? When in actuality, they know more than us. They have more intelligence of us. So if anything, they know how much worse it is on the ground, but yet not going to make any changes. And to make matters even worse, it seems like a ground invasion of Rafah is now imminent, even though the Biden administration has tried to discourage Israel from doing this. But of course, Israel isn't listening because they know that they can do whatever they want. And the Biden administration is still going to continue to support them. And to make matters even worse, the Biden administration is now expressing concerns that a ground invasion of Lebanon is possible. And yet, I still don't hear any possible change in policy towards Israel. This is a rogue state that needs to be sanctioned and cut off from the international community entirely. But we can't even get the U.S. government to agree to stop sending them more weapons that they're using against innocent civilians. What the fuck? It's just so frustrating to see them play dumb and to tell us to shut the fuck up when we criticize Biden over this. If you are somebody who is trying to scold anyone for speaking out against this, shame on you. If you're a Biden supporter, you can vote for him because we all acknowledge that Trump is worse. But if you tell people, don't you dare criticize him, you really need to look in the mirror because maybe you're in a cult just like MAGA supporters. But, you know, apparently you have to let Biden continue to uh, use our tax dollars in perpetuity to support this. Uh, otherwise, you clearly haven't thought through the consequences of electing somebody who wants to have a Muslim ban, right, Mitch Landrieu? It's so frustrating, so disheartening to see this. Again, voters are warning him months in advance that they will not vote for him if he continues to do this. They can choose to take that threat seriously or disregard it. It's up to them, right? Nobody can make them do anything. But they don't get to blame voters if they lose in November, they don't get to pin the death of American democracy on voters if Trump wins because Biden has chosen to prioritize Netanyahu's genocide over American democracy. And I'm going to leave you with some wise words from Mehdi Hassan, who explains how foolish Biden is being here by continuously going along with every single thing the Israeli government wants. I also think it's crazy that Joe Biden is willing to wreck his presidency, potentially, and American democracy if Trump gets back in for Benjamin Netanyahu, a man who has basically... I can't find the daytime language for it, done bad things to every Democratic president in my lifetime. Bill Clinton struggled with Netanyahu, Barack Obama struggled with Netanyahu, and now Biden could sacrifice his own presidency. For who? For Bibi? On Sunday, 25-year-old Aaron Bushnell, who is an active duty member of the U.S. Air Force, went to the Israel embassy in D.C., and he lit himself on fire, and he streamed it. And these were his last words, quote, my name is Aaron Bushnell. I'm an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. Now, I'm not going to play the video for you because it would violate YouTube's terms of service, but it's out there if you want to watch it. But I do believe it's my responsibility to make sure that his message is heard far and wide. And his last words were incredibly important. That was the last message that he shared, but it's not the last thing that he said before collapsing. Brett Wilkins of Common Dreams describes the incident. Quote, 
get on the ground, you fucker. Someone, presumably an officer, can be heard saying in the video as Bushnell screams and writhes in agony. He managed one final garbled yet unmistakable shout of free Palestine as his body was engulfed in flames. And he was yelling free Palestine, free Palestine over and over and over again until he no longer could. But with his last breath, he spoke out on behalf of Palestinians facing extermination at the hands of a genocidal Israeli government that is being fully supported by our government. And he did this to make sure that his message, that message, could not be ignored. As Abby Martin put it, Aaron Bushnell is the second person to self-immolate over the Gaza genocide. The first was a woman whose name we do not know because her story was buried. Our monstrous rulers are forcing people to engage in the most extreme, desperate act of political protest just to be heard. And that's really what this is about, right? Media just isn't doing a sufficient enough job of informing the American public about the severity of the atrocities being committed in Gaza. And to the extent that they do cover it, major outlets such as the New York Times and the Washington Post have published coverage that is biased towards Israel. And this isn't me saying this. This was proven by an investigative report published by The Intercept. So Bushnell wanted to force the media to pay attention by doing this extreme form of protest, because in theory, you can't talk about his actions and what he did here while ignoring his words. But media certainly tried. For example, Asal Rod, a scholar in Middle East history, writes, four major news outlets have almost the exact same headline for the self-immolation of 25-year-old Aaron Bushnell. Not one of them mentions the words Gaza or genocide, the reason for Aaron's protest, or the word Palestine, his last word spoken. Now, you can see the examples that she provided here. New York Times says a man set himself on fire outside of Israel embassy in Washington, the police said. CNN says U.S. airman sets himself on fire outside of Israeli embassy. Reuters, U.S. airman sets himself on fire outside Israeli embassy in Washington. And the Washington Post says active duty airman sets himself on fire outside D.C.'s Israeli embassy. None of them actually mentioning what she said. Gaza, Palestine, Genocide. Now, another one shared by Walid Shahid here from CBS. Breaking. An active duty U.S. Air Force member has died after he set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, officials said. Now, Walid adds, how would American media cover a Russian soldier self-immolating in Moscow to protest Putin? It would probably mention a reason for the tragic act of defiance in the headline. But it gets worse because Mike Elk shared a screenshot from an NPR article. There's a line that reads... As of Monday morning, NPR was not able to independently verify the man's motives. Now, Mike tagged them, letting them know what his motives were. He was literally shouting free Palestine as he burned to death. What more do you need? So the stunning level of ignorance that we're seeing, regardless if it's winning or unwinning from media, does a disservice to people who they're supposed to be informing. These headlines suggest that Bushnell's self-immolation occurred in a vacuum. And if you didn't read past the headlines, you'd likely assume that his action wasn't actually a form of political protest. You just think that he was mentally ill. And this is actually how some outlets are reporting on this, implying that he was mentally ill even when they share his dying words. Take MSNBC, for example. Yesterday, 25-year-old Aaron Bushnell of San Antonio, Texas, the active duty airman in the U.S. Air Force who set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in an apparent protest against the Israel-Hamas war, has died. That identification made by Metropolitan Police here. 
which now filmed his own self-immolation on his cell phone, yelling, free Palestine, before collapsing to the ground outside the embassy. He was rushed to the hospital for treatment, but later succumbed to his injuries. And if you or someone you know is in crisis, call or text 988 to reach the suicide aid. Now, look, I'll never be mad at anyone for sharing information that could help someone experiencing a mental health crisis, because that is important. And I'm thankful that they did share his last words. But to make this about mental health and imply that this is what that's about kind of misses the point. And Brett Wilkins shared a couple of examples of tweets in his article from people who explained why that angle is so tone deaf. For example, Joshua Frank of Counterpunch writes, please stop saying Aaron Bushnell was mentally ill. The real mental illness is witnessing a genocide taking place and not doing a thing to stop it. Also, Joseph Azam adds, American media won't question the mental health of those who gleefully blow up neighborhoods full of children and hunt, humiliate, torture, and kill for sport, as we see with the IDF. That isn't viewed through a lens of dysfunction, but protesting it by self-immolation? Of course. Raphael Shimanov writes, Notice after Aaron Bushnell burns himself alive to protest Israel, how everyone cheerleading Israel's carpet bombings of Gaza have overnight become mental health experts. They learned it from the NRA after mass shootings of children. That's who they've become. And worse. Yeah. So shifting focus from Bushnell's protest and his final words to a conversation about his mental health. That is a form of obfuscation, and it allows the media to conveniently not address the elephant in the room, the reason why he's protesting in the first place. But I don't want to pretend like all media coverage was bad, because even though CNN's written headline purposefully omitted really important context, their on-air coverage did a surprisingly good job at communicating his message in a really objective manner. So let's watch that. Authorities identified Aaron Bushnell as the person who, on Sunday, set himself on fire. The 25-year-old was an active duty member of the U.S. Air Force. CNN's Gabe Cohen joins us now with the details. And, and Gabe, this is something that he did in protest. Yeah, that's correct. And we're learning much more about this 25-year-old active duty airman, uh, Aaron Bushnell, as you mentioned. He's from San Antonio, Texas, and he live streamed his actions on Sunday in broad daylight on the streets of D.C. outside the Israeli embassy. We are not going to show that video. It is extremely graphic and disturbing. I have watched the video. I can tell you at the beginning, at the start of it, you can see Bushnell walking up to the embassy on the street in his military fatigues. Uh, he's speaking calmly to the camera. I want to read a portion of what he says. He said, uh, quote, I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it is not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. He then goes on to pour some sort of accelerant, it looks like, on his head out of a water bottle he was carrying, and then he lights himself on fire, Boris, and as the flames engulf him, you can hear him yelling, free Palestine, free Palestine, again and again, until finally he collapses, and that is when officers, you can see them race in, one of them with a fire extinguisher in their hands, trying to put out the flames, but it takes time, and as we have learned, uh, Bushnell died in the hospital at some point later on. Uh, and, and look, it really speaks to 
the tensions that are continuing to escalate around the war in Gaza, not just across the world, but here in the United States. We saw a similar incident in December when someone self-immolated, uh, lit themselves on fire outside of the Israeli consulate in Atlanta. But this feels different. This is an active duty member of the military burning himself to death on the streets of the nation's capital. That right there is what we should expect from media. They read his message, read his final words, and they contextualized his protest. That was well done. And credit to Joshua P. Hill for sharing that clip on Twitter. I don't know that I would have seen it if he didn't share it because CNN hasn't posted this to their YouTube channel. But there's one more thing that I want to talk about with regards to Bushnell, and it doesn't involve media. It's about the way that he was treated in his final moments on Earth. And you already kind of got a hint of this when we read that quote about somebody telling him to get down on the ground. But I want to share just one image from the video uh, that was posted by Chuds of TikTok. So you see an armed guard or policeman pointing a gun at him while he was literally burning to death. And if you watch the video, you can hear somebody saying, get down on the ground, you fucker. And to this, Chuds of TikTok writes, this image should become infamous. There is no better example of the brutality inherent in the American system than trained security pointing his gun at Aaron Bushnell as he self-immolates in protest. Now, a man in a white shirt who was trying to help said something to the effect of, I don't need guns, I need fire extinguishers. Yeah, and it's just so telling about the brutality of this country that a man who is literally dying after lighting himself on fire to protest a genocide that his government is supporting gets a gun pointed at him in his final moments. Is he a threat to anyone but himself in that moment? What What is he going to do? It just it speaks to how little regard we have as a society for human life and as a country, right? And how violence is just, is just always our first instinct. That's the first thing we think to do, be violent. It's just so sad. But what I want to do is encourage everyone to just share Aaron Bushnell's final words on social media. You don't have to share the video because it's very difficult to watch. But... His final words are important, and they've been transcribed in the description, so you can copy and paste them for others to see. Put it on Twitter, on Facebook. Don't let his death be vain, and I think that sharing his words far and wide is one way you make sure that that's the case, that what he did has an impact. So, yeah, we'll leave that there. Rest in peace, Aaron. Stochastic terrorist Chaya Rychik sat down for an interview with journalist Taylor Lorenz, and after watching it in its entirety, I am genuinely stunned that she agreed to do this because she came off as an uninformed, deeply unserious, stupid person who contradicted herself multiple times from start to finish and subsequently had a meltdown on Twitter after the interview was posted for no good reason. So there's a lot to talk about here. I've got specific moments that I want to show you. But first, let me just set the stage for you. This is how she showed up to the interview, wearing a shirt with Taylor Lorenz crying on it and then tweeted a picture of herself wearing said shirt for internet points and then went on to retweet right-wing accounts lulling at her immature shirt. She also tweeted out an image about Taylor Lorenz's eyes, I guess to insinuate that she has crazy eyes or something, but I mean, she looks fine to me. I don't get what she's trying to say here. She also attacked Taylor Lorenz for the timing of the release of the interview, writing, of course, Taylor Lorenz did the scummiest move possible and released the interview when she knew I would be offline for 24 hours. I don't get why that matters. She also released a summary of the interview for from her personal account and she was sure to not forget the fact that taylor lorenz is a quote lizard person very relevant here 
And uh, she was wearing a mask. Yeah. Now, I think that Hassan Piker's reaction to the interview summarizes my feelings perfectly. Quote, I love this interview because it's a perfect demonstration of what these weirdos look like out of their Twitter echo chamber of equally dumb reactionary followers, unhinged and very stupid. And that's exactly right. She came off as an immature, clout-hungry middle school bully who only agreed to do the interview in hopes that she could clip out one or two moments of her owning Taylor Lorenz. But unfortunately for her, the interview did not go the way that she wanted it to as evidenced by the fact that the discourse about the interview in conservative circles is primarily centered on the fact that Taylor Lorenz was wearing a mask and not on the content of what Chaya was saying, although her shirt did get a couple of lulls that she was looking for, to be fair. But let's first get to her stochastic terrorism, because unsurprisingly, she doesn't take responsibility for any of the bomb threats that she inspired. I've noticed that you haven't necessarily publicly condemned that behavior, publicly told your supporters, listen, guys, Stop, you know, stop calling in these bomb threats. Who said it's my followers? Do you, do you have information that it's my followers? Um, I guess who, who else's followers would it be? I don't know. So you There's post, 300 million people in this country. So you post bomb threats follow and you're saying it might be just unrelated people? I have no idea. Uh, we don't know who it is. It could be entirely coincidental. Who can really say? Astonishing. Now, Taylor Lorenz asked her about this because a report from NBC News, quote, identified 33 instances starting in November of 2020 when people or institutions singled out by libs of TikTok later reported bomb threats or other violent intimidation. The threats, which on average came several days after tweets from libs of TikTok targeted schools, libraries, hospitals, small businesses and elected officials in 16 states, Washington, D.C. and the Canadian province of Ontario. Twenty one of the 33 threats were bombed threats which most commonly targeted schools and were made via email. Now, sure, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, but when we have 33 examples that follow a consistent pattern of events leading up to said violent threats, I think we can logically deduce that Rychik is to blame here. But according to her, she is actually the victim, and she actually tried to claim that journalists are responsible for death threats against her in the same way that she's responsible for bomb threats against hospitals. But the problem with this argument is it implies that she knows she is responsible for bomb threats against hospitals hospitals and Taylor Lorenz noticed that and backed her into a corner because of it immediately. So you're against death threats against against me? I yeah, I'm I would I'm a big you know, as somebody that's dealt with a lot of online harassment, I don't I don't defend uh, threatening to murder anyone. But I guess I'm curious, you know Because a lot of times it comes after an attack from the in the media, like some someone like you or another journalist. So are you saying that like, you know, if somebody posts something and then attacks follow that person should answer for those attacks? No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I'm saying that they, they, people like you tell me that all the time. So I'm just asking if you think the same thing. So her attempt to hypocrisy burn blew up in her face immediately because if she accepts that media is responsible for death threats against her, then she has to implicitly accept culpability for bomb threats that she inspired and she doesn't want to do that. So it's a bit of a conundrum. Now, a problem with her logic is that there is a difference between media reporting on public figures and public figures inciting harassment against people who aren't public figures. Taylor Lorenz tried to explain this to her, but she didn't get it because she's dumb. You know, a lot of LGBTQ people say that your posts cause an enormous amount of pain. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that your reporting on me causes me pain? I feel sad for that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So would you stop? Uh, no, I'm a journalist and you're a public oh. figure. 
but I'm just talking about, you know, these these non-public figures, right? These non-public well, figures that are... Well, if you put yourself out there on a public platform, then you're kind of making So anybody public. that posts on social media is a public figure in your mind? Uh, if you're putting your videos out there with the intention that it should go viral, you want publicity. And by that same logic, you're also putting yourself out there, Chaya, meaning that you must also want publicity. Therefore, you accept responsibility for whatever harassment may follow, just like the queer people that you dox into fame, right? Right? Well, of course not. Just because someone's post is public doesn't mean they have a platform. You're not automatically a public figure if you have a fucking Facebook account. And she refuses to acknowledge the fact that there is a meaningful difference between someone that has millions of followers and someone that has hundreds of followers. But she's obviously doing this to rationalize and justify her own behavior, but it's evident that she can dish it, but she can't take it when it comes to hate mongering. But on the subject of hate, her views on gender identity is where the interview, I think, really goes off the rails because it became abundantly clear that she's never really thought deeply about her own beliefs and doesn't really even have a coherent set of policy priorities when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights. Let's watch. If transgenderism doesn't exist, which it seems like you're, that's what you believe, what happens to all the people living happy lives as trans people? Well, it, first of all, the whole trans is it's based on a lie. You can't change your you can't change your gender. Okay, but so they could they could go live their 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 life. I mean, I can't tell someone what to do in their in their house. Sounds like you do want to tell people what to do in their house. I never said that. So you're totally okay with people being trans, just not as long as they're in public. No, I never said that. They could, it's, the whole thing is based off of a lie, and I think that um, the fa this lie cannot be mainstream in our, in our society. It's just, it's a lie. And what harm is it causing, do you believe? Um, I like the truth. I like truth. Right, but I'm saying, what what's the what's the harm of people expressing their gender identity differently than you believe it to be? What what harm are they causing? Um, like I said, we are a a um, a nation of truth, and I I'm, I'm, I seek the truth. Trans is bad because we're a nation of the truth and I seek the truth. Brilliantly put, Chaya. <laughs> Brilliantly put. And it's a little ironic coming from the person who believed the lies about the 2020 election being stolen since she was spotted at the January 6th insurrection. And she also claimed, as a Jewish woman, mind you, that the anti-Semitic Great Replacement conspiracy theory is real, but she cares about the truth. Sure. Now, she later goes on to claim that the material harm that's being done by trans people merely existing is that it's being pushed on the kids, which, no, it's not. That's not a thing that can happen. People either are trans or they're not. But she incorrectly believes that being trans is contagious and implies that it should be banned. But then she says, no, we shouldn't ban it. You can't really control what people do in their homes, which is true. But then what about when it comes to the public? If it's contagious, then shouldn't we ban it? Well, she hasn't really thought that solution through either. So it's stunning to see how little thought she's put into her own worldview after obsessing with trans people for years. And I guess if banning trans people from existing, including adults, isn't her goal, then what exactly is her fucking solution then why are you complaining constantly is the goal just to complain in perpetuity about trans people are you just bothered that they exist it doesn't make sense right now she thinks that we're naive enough 
to believe that she actually doesn't want to ban trans people from existing. But I'm sorry, when she tweets out things like this, attacking a random trans guy who looks incredibly happy, by the way, she wants us to think that there are no broader implications to take away from that. She doesn't want to ban it. I don't believe that she doesn't want it to be banned, but at the same time, it's very clear that she hasn't thought through her views about this. Now, part of this to me feels like she is externalizing her own internal struggles, especially with posts like that, right? Almost like she's trying to convince herself and everyone else that that random trans guy is actually super miserable, even though he looks really happy, and she's the one who's actually happy. Because happy people obsess with queer people, people who are comfortable in their own skin, obsess about what other people do with their bodies constantly, right? Yeah, they're the ones who are sad, not you. Now, she already told Tucker Carlson that she thinks that LGBTQ plus identities can be pushed onto kids because it's alluring, which is a really interesting choice of words to use that stuck with me after I heard her say that because cis and straight people wouldn't find being trans or gay alluring unless they were tempted by it. And you wouldn't be tempted by it unless you were either trans or gay yourself and you're just kind of fighting that battle. But I mean, it's hard to draw any solid conclusions from from her comments here because her views on gender identity range from incoherent to extreme in a leftist sense. Yeah, I said that right. Meaning that she's so anti-trans that she's come full circle and almost supports transgenderism in a way in a roundabout way, nonetheless, but in a way by calling for the abolition of gender entirely. I'm not making this up, so let me show you what I mean by this. You can't change your gender. Uh-huh. And what if somebody said to you, you know, you're not a real woman? You're not a real woman because maybe you don't you don't meet these certain specific definitions of femininity. That's fine. I don't care. They can call me whatever you want. But what if you would be forced to live by that system? Do you think it's fair that you would, you know, be forced? Is that to based live? in like science? Well, I don't think any of it's really based in science. Well, it is. Gender is a sexes. social construct. Well, well, gender is actually made up. Exactly. Um, yes, we agree on this. Who... Amazing, isn't it? Gender is actually made up according to Chaya Raichik. So uh, go nuts, everyone. <laughs> Defy gender norms because it's not real. Yeah. I mean, what she's saying is objectively true in the sense that gender is a social construct. And I'm glad that she's at least acknowledging that. But she's acknowledging it for nefarious reasons. But the reason why gender is technically made up is because it's just a way that we express ourselves, right? It's a name for how we express ourselves. Society is what dictates that women should have long hair and wear dresses and act feminine. There's nothing natural about women wanting to wear dresses. We just said that they're supposed to like pink and boys are supposed to like blue. It's completely arbitrary, right? So if you do away with gender, we're all just human beings expressing ourselves in whatever way we like without social expectations. And it seems like that's what she wants. So Chaya Raichik is so fucking stupid that she doesn't even realize that she's become so anti-trans that she has functionally checkmated herself into supporting the pro-trans position. But they explore this a little bit more when Raichik is forced to think through the implications of her own worldview. And uh, it's not pretty, as you're gonna see. Oh, I want to erad eradicate gender ideology from, from public life. From public life completely? Yeah, the whole thing is built on a lie. Well, you certainly have a gender yourself. Gender ideology. No, I don't. I have a sex. Gender. There's no such thing as gender. Okay. I said gender is made up. There's no such thing I as gender. I agree that gender is a completely social construct. No, it doesn't exist. It's okay. uh, there's zero. There are zero genders. I have a sex. I'm female. There are zero genders. Yeah. So you want to live in sort of a post-gender world 
where everybody can kind of express themselves through personality however they like. Well, that's what it is now, uh-huh. but they're just calling it gender. Do you support those adults having bodily autonomy, dressing, acting, you know, painting their nails or shaving their head or doing whatever they want to do to express themselves? I don't care if a guy wants to paint his nails. So you don't care, you don't care about... Leave the kids out of it. Don't sexualize the kids. Don't confuse the kids. Okay, but I'm going to throw a wrench in things just for a moment here. Just bear with me. What if a guy with painted nails goes out in public? And what if a kid sees a guy with painted nails and then thinks, hmm, maybe I want to paint my nails too? Is that tantamount to him pushing it on kids? Let's take it further. What if a kid sees a straight couple holding hands in public and the kid then thinks, hmm, that looks really cool. I hope to do that too. Is that tantamount to sexualizing kids as well? I mean, it's possible, but she never actually talks about the possibility that straight people could also sexualize kids in the same way that LGBTQ plus people can. And when she's confronted about this, things get somehow even dumber, if you can imagine it. But let's just talk about young girls. Why don't you speak out about that? Why don't you speak out about sort of heteronormative cisgender men, traditional men, sexualizing young girls, young female girls? I speak out about the sexualization of of kids. But you don't speak out about sort of the sexualization of kids by straight people. I don't discriminate on who's sexualizing the kids. But if the you, kid's being sexualized. Well, but there's only one group of kids that you're talking about, which is you're concerned about sort of people being sexualized by the LGBTQ community. I'm asking, I'm saying a lot of straight older men. Not necessarily the LGBTQ. I mean, if they're, you know, I don't want straight teachers to be talking about their sexuality in schools either. So you don't, you wouldn't be okay with a straight teacher, for instance, discussing their marriage. I think it's weird. Uh-huh. Why would someone discuss their marriage in a classroom? You heard it here first, folks. If you casually mention your spouse, even if you're straight, well, it's weird and you should probably avoid doing that so as to not sexualize the youth. Okay, well, what would you do if you're a teacher and your spouse brought you your lunch and one of the students saw your spouse and asked, hey, who's that? What would you do in this situation, right? In this predicament, Chai Raichik would be sweating profusely because she wouldn't know how to answer that question. She'd be incapacitated by it because you couldn't say it's your spouse because then the kids would be groomed. So you'd have to say, well, it's my partner, but not my romantic partner. But that person is more than a friend. And on top of that, you know, we're really close and we do nice things for each other. How would you answer that question? I mean, by her logic, if parents display any signs of affection around their kids whatsoever, that's tantamount to sexualizing kids. She's the one who said it. See, I don't think she believes this. It's too stupid for her to believe because it's a standard that's so impossible that literally no one on the planet would be able to live up to it. But the reason why she conceded that straight people could also sexualize kids potentially is because she knows that she looks like a hypocrite for focusing exclusively on queer people. But if the bar for what's considered sexualizing kids was that low, everyone would be a groomer, including her. At some point, like she has done something to flaunt her gender in front of kids at some point you know she i heard that she had a partner that just left her if she was out in public with her partner and held hands with him she sexualized kids as well right i mean any children's show by her logic depicting a mommy and a daddy would also be grooming taking kids to a wedding would be grooming if you ever had a young boy be a ring bearer congratulations you groomed that kid he's scarred for life i mean it's a comically fucking stupid view of the world but bigots like her don't actually apply that same level of scrutiny to straight people because she doesn't actually care about kids she just wants to demonize queer people
full stop. That's what this is about. And that's also evident when Taylor brought up her inconsistent standards when it comes to surgical procedures for minors. You seem very against plastic surgery. Are you against- Well, I'm against exchange surgeries. Uh-huh. What about women that want to get their boobs done, want to get their nose done, want to get cheek implants? We're just going to go in circles. Well, I'm just curious. But I, it's good yeah. to note that you're you're uh, comparing nose jobs to um, to teen girls getting their breasts chopped off. Well, people often, teen girls also get boob jobs to make their breasts bigger, right? So uh, the, both, are, both are gender affirming in different ways. You seem very obsessed with one and not interested in the other. So that's kind of what I'm interested in. And I... I guess I don't really understand that because both are gender affirming in different ways. Um, I don't call it gender affirming care. I call it uh, sex change surgeries for people who are sold a lie that they can change their sex. Now, Chaya Rychik is lying when she says that minors are getting sex change operations, but some trans teenagers are allowed to get double mastectomies when they're 16. Now, it depends on the parental consent and the doctor, but if you're against that, why wouldn't you also be consistent and denounce breast augmentation surgeries for minors as well? Because again, this is about hate, pure and simple. Chaya Rychik doesn't care about kids. It's why her worldview is so incoherent and doesn't make any sense it's why she can't articulate her actual positions very clearly it's not based on a logically cohesive set of ideological beliefs it's based on you trans people icky and it's not surprising because hate doesn't really require any level of intelligence or thought so nobody really should be surprised by one of the largest hate mongers in the country being comically fucking stupid and one last thing that i want to leave you with is this tweet from owen higgins poking fun at chaya rye chick writing Ugh, can you believe i did an interview with this person i hate i can't stop thinking about her i have a shirt with her face on it and i can't stop thinking about her eyes i can't stand her yeah i'm picking up what he's putting down hopefully you are too you know we all see this for what it is chaya Raichik's fixation on this issue is very telling and one day she's going to be irrelevant and fade into obscurity just like anita bryant and she's gonna have to come to terms with her own sexuality or gender identity and i'd say that she would regret that if she were a normal person but i don't actually think that she's intellectually capable of expressing an emotion that complicated. But let's just say that when she eventually comes out or gets outed, her defamation of LGBTQ plus people will never be forgotten. And she might think that it's a good thing now, but history will be very harsh towards her. And I hope that she at least realizes that. You and your rhetoric and your inability to do anything as a board here are partially responsible for emboldening bullies to jump a girl in the bathroom. Three older girls don't just jump a 16-year-old in the bathroom for no apparent reason, especially when they're of the alphabet community, who you personally have attacked ever since you ran for office, and you brought in the chief attacker of this, Chaya Rychak. Okay? It's on you. You remember what I said, the blood's on you guys and, and everything else? I think what you're looking at now is a federal lawsuit for each one of you personally, and I hope it happens because it'll bankrupt you. And I hope it happens for you, Ryan, because you're money-oriented, and I hope it bankrupts you as well. There is legal culpability here. Um, no Title IX was followed. Teacher didn't turn it in. Principal didn't turn it in. Is it mandatory reporting? Is that what it's called? Mandatory? Give me a nod. If you're on the school board, you should know. Is it mandatory reporting for somebody to report a hate crime? Is it mandatory? Did I not tell you this was going to happen? Yet here I am again. And I'm sure when I leave your Chaya Rychek chick will 
tweet my stuff out again and I'll get more death threats. That's who you brought into the room. You emboldened these three girls yourself. Chaya Rychek emboldened these three girls by being on the library board. It's already difficult to be in high school. It's very difficult to be different. But when somebody's attacked for being different, this isn't even about the death part, because that's coming next. And we'll see who gets charged and how many families lose their children to prison. You are liable. You. So what are you going to do about it down the line? Literally, what are you going to do to change your behavior? It was real nice that you said thoughts and prayers for everybody at the beginning. You brought it on. Did Chaya Reichek do something in that school against an alphabet-friendly teacher? And she ended up getting so many threats she quit? Yet you still brought her on, and within a month, magically, something happens. You have no deniability here. It is a pattern. Forced Gump could see this pattern. You don't deserve that. You have actual blood on your hands. No matter how sincere you try to, you probably practiced it in the mirror to look sincere today. Look, you and worthless ass Chaya Rechek, literally blood on your hands, and everybody that still sits at this table shouldn't have shown up today and done some kind of a protest to show you're not okay with this. Get a backbone. Literally, it's embarrassing. I am humiliated and embarrassed for every one of you that showed up today. Shame on you, man. And as I told you, sooner or later, you're going to get a parent who comes after you and yours. That's the way this works. Keep it up. Thank you, Sean. Next, we have Mike Howe. That was so incredibly satisfying to watch, and every single word that he said was spot on. That was Sean Cummings. He is the vice mayor of The Village, Oklahoma, and he's also a business owner. And we just watched him confront Oklahoma school superintendent Ryan Walters at a public school board meeting. And as you saw, he accused them of emboldening the bullies that are responsible for next Benedict's death. And he's right. It's not just Ryan Walters, it's also Chaya Rychik. And the reason why he's so worked up is because he was proven right when he didn't want to be. So before Next Benedict died, guess what happened? He was right there at the school board meeting in January saying it's a very, very bad idea to put someone like Chaya Rychik in this position of power when she has no experience and doesn't even live in the district. And not to mention, she literally poses a danger to children. Take a look. You took somebody that threatened our children, literally threatened our children. You have no plausible deniability if it happens again. Any of you in this room that tolerates this kind of behavior out of your boss, it's on you too. Yes. What happens when somebody actually does the bomb? What happens? Plausible deniability for any of you? No, everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows who she is. What kind of BS manager are you put everybody's lives at stake so you can have like your measly $140,000 your job. You can go sell your soul somewhere else for more money. You can't. You're a good looking guy. You can do it. You don't powder, but you're a good looking guy. All right, let's talk about a couple things. Guilt by association. You bring her on, you're guilty. You guys, all of you, ladies and gentlemen, are guilty if you tolerate this kind of behavior. You're 50th in the nation. You're last. And this is the kind of BS you do. You bring that on so you can get a little more press. Are you not getting enough press, Ryan? Are you not getting enough press? Are you? I teach you how to get more press. Look, I've got two books in the library. I wrote two. All right, one was a bestseller in here in Oklahoma. I have more qualifications than she does. 
I do. Come on, man. But you're going off the cliff. This isn't even funny anymore. But I tell you what, the parents in the school where that bomb goes off are going to have some problems with you. Now, he was referencing the fact that Chaya Raichik's targeting of teachers in schools has led to harassment and even bomb threats. And after he told them about that, NBC News released a report detailing 21 different incidents where bomb threats were made against schools and hospitals following a post about them by Chaya Raichik. So his point was that what happens when one of these bomb threats is no longer just a threat? What if there's an actual bomb? Because somebody gets so worked up that they take action and become violent? What if a teacher that she targets leads to one of her unhinged followers actually following through on their threats of violence? We're talking about people's children here. This isn't a game. Chaya Rajic incited harassment against Next Benedict's teacher, accused him of grooming, for daring to tell LGBTQ plus youth that he would accept them even if their parents rejected them. This person is deeply dangerous. So Sean Cummings warned them all that if you put someone like this in a position of power, you are creating a toxic environment where kids are going to pick up on what the adults are doing and we're going to have tragedies like this where a young man, next Benedict, dies. And that is so sad to see. Now, just for those who don't know, next Benedict actually used he, him pronouns according to his friends. So I used they, them pronouns last time, but now we know. So just correcting that so people know. But can you guess what Shia Raichik did after that speech uh, was posted online? Well, she posted it and sicked her unhinged followers on Sean Cummings, which is what he referenced in the first video. So she tagged him, writing, Sean Cummings, city council member in Oklahoma, has a meltdown over me being appointed to help remove porn from schools. He claims I threatened children with bombs. This is a flat-out lie. I will not stand for this libelous defamation. So she is insinuating that she might sue him for defamation. Surprise, surprise. She's been doing that a lot lately. But after she made that post and incited harassment against him, Take a guess as to what happened. The same thing that always happens. Her supporters found his information online and started making phone calls to him. And he details what they said in a TikTok video. Look, every one of them, when they called, um, accused me of like SEX crimes and stuff. Just just total BS. Here's the issue. It isn't about me because people called him. They were very worried about me in this. And I go, don't worry about it. I'm totally fine. I don't mind. I answer every one of those phone calls. I don't let anything go. The, um, the threat goes to other people that now stand up against Walters or her. I was not even out of that building yet, and she had already tweeted about me. Okay? I was not out of the building yet. So, do you really want this kind of T-E-R-R-O-R -R -R campaign going on with the librarians? So he got calls from Chaya Raichik's unhinged followers, and they accused him of sex crimes, as they always do. According to Chaya Raichik, every single LGBTQ plus person on the planet and anyone who defends them is a groomer. No surprise there. But if you'll recall, she claimed that he was mad that she was going to remove porn from schools, but he went on to make a point about how book banning doesn't actually protect children from porn because they have access to porn on their phones if they really want to look at it. So this whole crusade, all it does is demonize queer people. It fosters this environment of paranoia against queer people, and it could lead to instances like the one we saw where a student was bullied because he was himself.
it doesn't help that he was forced to use the bathroom of his sex assigned at birth after the governor of Oklahoma, also responsible here, signed a law making it so that was what they had to do. It's just this whole situation is so sad because it was preventable. And that's what Sean Cummings was trying to communicate to these folks at these uh, school board meetings multiple times. Now, it's really nice to see him do that and stand up and speak out for next Benedict. Now, one thing that I did not expect from Sean Cummings' TikTok video was the tea that he ended up spilling about Ryan Walters because this was something. I get very tired of the LGBTQ issue coming up all the time. Look, there, the Lost Ogles got a blatant photo of Ryan when he was younger, and that was not just a friend he was sitting with that had his hand on Ryan's thigh. Look over the photo closely and you'll see what I mean. Look, I played football, basketball, soccer, and did theater and competitive speech and dramatics. Um, every single person from the sporting style of the aisle um, that talked bad about gay people eventually came out of the closet. You know, I mean, I'm, it sucks that they got to live that way, but that's the truth. Eventually, all came out of the closet. And I spent most of my life fighting those people because the other people were my friends as well that I knew nobody else was going to stand up for. Now, that was something that I was not expecting. Now, I went to the Lost Ogle article that he recommended, and he's absolutely right. So, this is the photo that he was referring to, a young Ryan Walters sitting conspicuously close to his quote-unquote friend, wearing matching flip-flops with his hand on his leg, and uh, Ryan's arm is uh, over his friend's shoulder. Very, very straight. You know, I'm sure that most straight guys interact with their friends this way. But for a moment, let's just assume that you're not convinced. Everyone should be convinced, but let's assume that you're not convinced. Well, there's another photo from the same article that is even more incriminating. A photo of young Ryan Walters and, wait for it, Taylor Swift. <laughs> he is dead to rights here now sure it is the case that a straight man can also be a fan of taylor swift but there's a difference and i can't really explain that difference but i just have to show you so this is a photograph of a heterosexual man posing for a photograph with taylor swift this is corin kyle's friend and there's nothing like inherently gay about this and you could just tell but when you compare that with the photograph of ryan walters you know you can't really describe why this is so gay you can't articulate how it's more gay but when you see it you just know right so this entire crusade that he's doing against queer people makes so much more sense now and i'll be honest when chaya Rychik shared this photo of the two of them it was pretty obvious to me that this man was born with the gay gene now i wasn't a hundred percent sure but with a confidence level of 95 percent you know there was a non-zero percent chance i thought that this man like chaya Rychik, is externalizing his internal struggle but you know i kept that to myself because people often say that i tend to accuse everyone who's homophobic of being gay and i think that that's a fair criticism to make of me but in my defense 
I'm also 100% correct. I I'm sorry, but when you know, you know, and I just know. I have an impeccable gaydar, and I think I've only been wrong like once or twice in my entire life. And nothing sets off my gaydar more than someone being overtly homophobic and obsessing over queer people to the point that they make that their entire personality. That, to me, is incredibly suspicious. That, to me, is weird. That doesn't scream I'm confident in my own gender identity or sexual orientation. But yes, with that being said, it is true that some people are just hateful for the sake of being hateful, and they're not externalizing an internal struggle. For example, I don't think that Ben Shapiro is gay, even though he is a massive homophobe, or Jordan Peterson, or Matt Walsh, although it's evident that he does have some other weird sexual hangup that he hasn't dealt with yet. But, you know, not everyone who's hateful is gay. But if you are genuinely hateful and you think that LGBTQ plus people are icky for some reason— you should know that a lot of us are going to suspect that you are what you hate if you get a little bit too loud, become a little bit too conspicuous, as Chaya Raichik and Ryan Walters have. As for Sean Cummings, um, I just want to say that I'm so thankful for someone like this who is willing to show up and confront people who pose a threat to LGBTQ plus youth. What he's doing is incredibly important, and that right there is what a true ally does. And in his TikTok, he even mentions how Democrats aren't doing enough to counter the right's anti-LGBTQ plus hate campaign, and I think he's right. So people like him, they give me hope, because even though he's not part of this community and doesn't have to care he still does. And I think we can all learn from people like him on how to be better allies and actually show up for marginalized communities that we're not a part of. So we'll leave that there. The Republican Party has been desperately trying to convince voters that they are not against IVF ever since Alabama Supreme Court announced the decision that led to the effective ban statewide of the procedure. Now, as they say they support IVF, well, the problem is that more than 100 of them sponsored legislation, at least in the House, called the Life at Conception Act, which would effectively ban the procedure nationwide. But they had the opportunity once and for all to show how supportive they are by supporting legislation in the Senate that would protect the procedure nationwide. And guess what they did? Just take a guess. They blocked it. Of course they did. Specifically, Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith blocked it. But don't you worry, because she still assures everyone that she definitely supports IVF. But don't take it from me. I support the ability for mothers and fathers to have total access to IVF and bringing new life into the world. Well, thank goodness she supports IVF. You know, I had my doubts after she blocked that legislation, which would have protected the procedure nationwide, but she said she supports it, so awesome. I believe her, definitely. So, you know, what exactly, though, is the problem with this legislation? Because if you say you support IVF and this legislation protects it, then what are we doing here? Now, she's going to argue that even though she definitely supports IVF, this bill in particular, it just goes too far. And now I'm going to let her explain her concerns. The bill's expansion definition of artificial reproductive technology sweeps in much more than IVF and has far-reaching implications. It would legalize human cloning. It would legalize commercial surrogacy, including for young girls without parental involvement. It would legalize gene-edited designer babies, and lift the federal ban on the creation of three parent embryos. It would legalize the creation of human animal chimeras. Oh, okay. I see. So <laughs> we're going to get real fucking stupid today, aren't we? 
we we definitely we definitely don't want a bunch of human animal chimeras as she called them running around now do we <laughs> oh my god this country is so fucking stupid our empire is dying what the fuck man that's a u.s senator a person in a position of immense power shrieking about the possibility of human animal chimeras Sorry, Americans, no reproductive health care for you because one Republican dumbass is worried about cloning and human-animal chimeras, and um, it's a real concern, so you don't get to have any rights. Sorry. I'm exhausted. What, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to give you any political commentary that's interesting or insightful? That's what we're dealing with. I don't think we need you know, a comprehensive breakdown. I don't think we need to analyze what she's saying or try to interpret what she's saying in good faith. She's just a dumbass, man. She's talking about human-animal chimeras. What are we supposed to say about that? Now, I feel like I should... <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but obviously she's she's lying. She might not be lying. She could be just that dumb, but this is not true. But she's trying to find a reason to oppose this because she actually does oppose IVF, but she can't say that because it's perhaps an even more unpopular position than their stance on abortion. So she's now forced to be opposed to this legislation under the pretense of designer babies and human animal chimeras. I, I, I still can't get over it. Holy shit. I have no hope for this country. Now, the sponsor of this law, Tammy Duckworth, um, explained specifically what this would do and had to reassure this idiot that, no, not going to be any human animal chimeras, you dumb motherfucker. That's not what she said, but that's what I'm saying. But, you know, that's <laughs> that's blinded what Tammy Duckworth <laughs> said. Let's just listen. This bill does three things and three things only. It protects the right of individuals to seek assistive reproductive technology without fear of being prosecuted for, uh, for seeking that technology. It preserves the right of physicians to provide that assistive reproductive technology without, without fear of being prosecuted. And it also allows insurance companies to cover, to cover assistive reproductive technology. That is all that it does. Well, of course, Tammy Duckworth wants you to think that she doesn't support human animal chimeras running around. We're on to you, Tammy, or should I say, Daffy. <laughs> I don't, I shouldn't publish this video. This is, <laughs> we're talking about human animal chimeras, man. What the fuck are we doing? And it's, it's chimeras. Okay. I don't want to end up saying what she's saying because I don't want to inject more stupidity into the discourse. But <sighs> now listen, this is Republicans once again, just handing Democrats a huge gift, right? And Democrats, they're rightfully pouncing on this opportunity gifted to them by these idiot Republicans. For example, Ron Wyden tweeted, I wish I could say I'm surprised. Senate Republicans just blocked our attempt to pass Senator Duckworth's bill to protect nationwide access to IVF. Republicans will stop at nothing to deny women in America their fundamental rights and freedoms. Senator Elizabeth Warren, a suspected human-snake hybrid, all of my Bernie bros are going to recognize that reference, says Republicans just blocked Senator Duckworth's bill to protect IVF 
I'm furious. So many families desperately need these services to help them have a baby. This is a direct consequence of Donald Trump overturning Roe and exposes Republican politicians' hypocrisy on IVF. Maisie Hirono says, once again, Republicans have shown their true colors, blocking passage of Senator Duckworth and Patty Murray's bill to protect IVF access nationwide. Republicans are claiming to support IVF while voting down the very bill that would do that. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, so they're saying what they need to say here. Um, and really, the only thing that gives me hope that this election isn't going to be a blowout for Republicans after the Democratic Party's base is disillusioned with Biden's support for Israel's genocide is the Republican Party's continued fumbling on the issue of reproductive health, right? That is a mobilizer. Their opposition to abortion and now their opposition to IVF, that is going to get a lot of people off their asses to vote affirmatively for Democrats. The question is going to be whether or not the people who are mobilized by abortion are going to surpass the number of people who are disillusioned with the Democratic Party over genocide. It's it's going to be a close election either way, but Republicans are seemingly trying to help Biden and Democrats win in November by continuously shooting themselves in the foot by doing idiotic things like this. I mean, we have a U.S. senator on the floor of the Senate parroting Alex Jones talking points about human-animal hybrids. What are we doing here? Why is this person in power? I, I get it's Mississippi, but, I mean, people in Mississippi, do you not have anyone else? I mean, just pick a random person off the streets, and I'm sure that they'd be more qualified than the person who's screeching about human-animal hybrids. Let's, let's all just try to try to do better as a country, right? Can we, can we just not elect complete imbeciles? Just maybe a couple of functioning adults and maybe things would improve, at least marginally in this country. What the fuck are we doing? Goddamn. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.